Hey everyone, you're listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Thank you for joining us as we journey through the book of Ephesians. Enjoy the message. Okay, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to the book of Ephesians. That should be a given. And uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 2. As a church, we're busy preaching through this incredible epistle from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. We've spoken about what Ephesus was like. Uh, If you missed that, please download part one of our series to get a little context of this letter that Paul's writing to this church. It was a pagan city. It was a spiritual city and in many ways a very diverse city. And, uh, and the Lord is doing and had done an incredible work in this particular church. Now, I want to begin this morning by telling you about a man called Bishop Reed. Bishop John Reed was an Australian uh, bishop in the church, but he would also volunteer uh, giving bus rides for school kids. And anyway, Bishop John Reed was driving the school bus in Australia, which was carrying both whites and aborigines. And along the way, he got sick and tired of all the squabbling and bickering. And so one day, he decided to pull over, and he said to all the white boys, What color are you? And they all responded, White. And then he said, No, you're all green. Anybody who rides on my bus is green. And then he turned to the aborigines, and he said to them, And what color are you? And they all replied, black. And then he said, no, you're all green. And anyone who rides on my bus is green. And it seemed like the situation had settled until several miles down the road, he heard a boy in the back row announcing to the rest of the bus, all right, everyone, light green on this side and dark green on this side. It seems that this problem just never goes away. What problem? The problem of alienation. The problem of separation. The problem of who's in and who's out. It's a human problem that has been around since forever. Now the good news is that Ephesians chapter 2 really is about solving the problem of alienation of separation. Firstly, last Sunday, you would have heard about a very important alienation, and that was an alienation from man to God, man from God, because sin separates man from God. And so we were alienated. Verses 1 through 10 speaks about our individual alienation from a holy God. Our sin has separated us from God, and so that, that, that leaves a real problem. And the problem is that sin needs to be taken care of. In order for us to be reconciled to God, sin needed to be taken care of. And Jesus did that. Now today, in verses 11 through to 22, there is another form, another obstacle. You see, it's not just individual. It's not that we were just alienated from God, but we've also been alienated from God's people. God's covenant people. You see, under the Old Covenant, in the, in the Old Testament, we, we read how, how God chose to reveal himself 
to a people called Israel. In fact, he called them. There wasn't a people. And he called Abraham. And then through Abraham's offspring, Isaac, not Ishmael, and Jacob became Israel, the nation. And so God had a special relationship with the people of Israel, a unique relationship with them. And to them, God revealed himself. And the way he revealed himself was through the law and through prophets. But the problem was that Israel lost sight of what they were called to do. You see, the reason God revealed himself to them was because they were to be a blessing to the nations. And instead, they took the blessing for themselves. They were to be a light to the Gentiles, but they kept the light to themselves. And so they became very proud of their privileged position. And they twisted this privilege into a sense of favoritism, and they despised other nations. And so in these verses that we're going to be reading today, Paul is addressing this hostility that emerged between Jews and other nations, or what we see is summarized as Gentiles, between the Jews and the Gentiles. And this is an ancient hostility that really bore tragic fruit. I mean, we even read in the Old Testament of examples. For example, the story of David and Goliath. We remember that story. Do you remember how the people spoke of Goliath? The people of Israel, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who threatens the people of God? In other words, it's not just who does he think he is. He's an uncircumcised Philistine. In other words, he's outside of the privileged position of being God's people. You see, circumcision was a sign that was given to Abraham and his offspring that evidence gave evidence or a sign pointing to them being God's people. And as the story develops, we know that even into the New Testament, the Jews spoke of Gentiles as unclean dogs. This hostility was deeply rooted in the human nature, even within the people of Israel. We see even with Jesus and the woman at the well. Remember the story? The parable even of the Good Samaritan. This hostility was very deep. It ran deep in the human heart. The woman said to Jesus, you shouldn't be talking to me for I'm a Samaritan. I'm a Gentile. We even have ancient Jewish literature, which there was a poem that was written that literally said this, that God created the Gentiles to fuel the fires of hell. I think they didn't like each other. So let's read what Paul has to say concerning this alienation and this hostility. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, And strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, 
in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What an incredible passage. And Paul was presenting to us this incredible work of Christ that has not only destroyed individual alienation between man and God, but has destroyed the alienation that existed between Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentiles, his thesis here, are one in Christ. And he's going to show this to us in three stages. Firstly, we're going to look at what we were apart from Christ, then what God has done through Christ, and then what now we are in Christ. Number one. There is a call to remember. Interesting, the Bible often calls us to forget. Forget your former life. Forget your former ways. Forget the, 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 the sins of your past. Even God has forgotten them. But here we have a call to remember. Call to mind. Consider who you are in light of this. Look at verses 11 and 12. In other words, the call here is to remember what we were apart from Christ. Therefore, remember, he says, that at one time you Gentiles, so he specifically has the Gentiles in mind, you, you Gentiles, in the flesh, called the uncircumcision. So this is very matter of fact. It's very natural. You, it, it was an identification marker. You were excluded. You were called that by what is called the circumcision, clearly speaking here now, of the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. And then he says it again, verse 12, remember that you were at that time. Now listen to this, listen to the downward spiral of this alienation. At that time you were separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I mean, this alienation was devastating. Listen to the list. You were Christless, separated from Christ. You were stateless outside of the commonwealth of Israel. 
You were homeless, strangers to the covenants of promise, which was family, and hopeless and godless. In other words, the, the, the real issue here is that they were nowhere near. He says you were far off, but you've been brought near. The issue was nearness to God. Nearness to God and nearness to his people. In other words, there was a barrier. There was something that was keeping them at bay. The Jews, however, were considered to be close to God. And in even some circumstances, if a Gentile wanted to get close to God, they would have to come under Jewish laws or take on Jewish practices. The most obvious of those was circumcision. If they became a proselyte, a Jewish proselyte. Now the interesting thing is here is that, that Paul speaks of circumcision here because he's thinking in terms of covenant. Those who were circumcised were included in the covenant of being considered God's witness to the nations. Those that weren't circumcised were excluded from this covenant. But the interesting thing is here is he talks about it as being in the flesh. He says they were Gentiles in the flesh, but then he says they were called this by the circumcision, which was also made in the flesh by hands. And there really is, and all scholars agree, there is a tone of sarcasm here. Paul does this in the book of Galatians also. Even in Colossians 2, there's a, a strong tone of sarcasm. And the reason for the sarcasm is that they are both in the flesh. Now, what is he trying to say? What he's trying to say is that the uncircumcised Gentile needs to be close to God. And the only way to get close to God is Christ. So the uncircumcised Gentile needs Christ. But the Jew who's only circumcised in the flesh also needs Christ. In other words, physical circumcision never saved anyone. Physical circumcision never included you automatically in God's plan of salvation. You see, the sign of circumcision was just that. It was a sign. And a sign points to an inward need for faith in God. Obviously, circumcision can't save. It's faith in Christ that saves, whether Jew or Gentile. And this is why throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets would call to the people of Israel. They would call to those who were circumcised in the flesh. Let's not miss this. They were circumcised in the flesh. However, the prophets would come to them and they would call them to be circumcised in their hearts. Because that's what really mattered. That their hearts would be broken and contrite, and have faith in God. And so Jeremiah is an example. 4 verse 4, Jeremiah the prophet would speak to the people of Israel. He'd say, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. You must be thinking, but I already am. God, 
And if you, if you respond like that as a Jew, you've, you've missed the sign. So Jeremiah, he knows, he knows he's speaking to a circumcised people. But he says, no, no, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts. O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. And then Paul picks up on this in Romans. In Romans 2, verses 28 to 29. You see, what what Paul's doing here in verses 11 is he's showing us that there is no distinction, actually, between Jew and Gentile in the flesh. No distinction. And so he says in verse uh, Romans 2, He says, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. And this is not just a New Testament thought. As we saw from Jeremiah, this is an Old Testament imperative. And Paul is suggesting here that there is a distinction. So there is no distinction between Gentile in the flesh and Jew in the flesh. However, there is a distinction between a Jew in the flesh and a Jew in the spirit. In other words... There are national Israelites, ethnic Israelites, and there are spiritual Jews or spiritual Israelites who have the Spirit of God. Those who are circumcised in the flesh are ethnic Jews, but those who are circumcised in their hearts also are spirit-filled, spiritual Jews. They have faith in Christ And so the conclusion here is, what were we apart from Christ? Well, yes, the Gentiles were alienated from Christ. But if you're a Jew only circumcised in the flesh, you too were alienated from Christ. And that leads Paul in Romans 3 verse 9 to say this. What then? Are the Jews any better off? Are they any better off because they were circumcised in the flesh? He says, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, all, Both Jews and Greeks are under sin. But the story doesn't end there, does it? He calls us to remember what we were apart from Christ. But he also calls us to rejoice in what God has done through Christ. Look at verse 13. He says, but now. So he highlights the alienation And he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. But now. It's it's amazing how this but now in verse 13 corresponds to the but God in verse 4 earlier on in chapter 2. These are two beautiful moments. And he's saying in verse 13 that Jesus, in Christ Jesus, everything that divided and everything that separated is destroyed. 
In other words, in the place of alienation, we now have reconciliation. Reconciliation not only between man and God, but between God and God's people. Whether they're Jew or Gentile, they're included. Verse 14 expands on this idea of being brought near. How were we brought near? Look at this. He says, for he, Jesus, himself is our peace. You know, in the Old Testament, they were called in the Psalms to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I want to say to you, please understand that the peace that they need is Jesus. He himself is our, he says, our, Paul himself being a Jew. Jesus is the peace that Jerusalem needs. Not a political peace, but a spiritual peace. They deserve to have political peace anyway. Any country does. But he's saying Jesus is our peace who has made us. Notice he's now changed his language. In verses 11 and 12, it was all about you, you. And now he's going we and us and our. He says, who has made us both. Who's both? Both Jew and Gentile. What? One. And has broken down in his flesh. In other words, through the cross, the dividing wall of hostility and so like the berlin wall that separated people from one another there was a wall spiritually and even physically the wall was here symbolic of what was happening even in the temple in the old testament the gentiles were not allowed into into the the main parts of the temple, there was an outer court that had a huge wall that would keep the Gentiles away. And literally written into their code was trespassers will be not prosecuted, but executed. Because Gentiles were not allowed to pass the wall. And so Paul is saying here that in the flesh of Christ, in the death of Christ, the dividing wall that separated Jew from Gentile, both spiritually and in the future, in AD 70, physically, the wall would come down. And he's also speaking here of the old covenant. Because the old covenant was a dividing wall that identified Jews and Gentiles. Look at what he goes on and says in verse 15. Furthermore, destroying the dividing wall of hostility. How? By, verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. There it is, the old covenant. Jesus Christ has abolished it by fulfilling it. Jesus perfectly obeyed the old covenant laws. And in obeying it perfectly, he fulfilled it and thereby abolished it. And the result is that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two being Jew and Gentile. So making peace. One new man, a new Humanity, John Stott says this, Jesus has succeeded in creating a new society. In fact, a new race in which alienation has given way to reconciliation and hostility to peace. 
Verse 16, he goes on. What else has Jesus done? And might reconcile us both, Jew and Gentile, to God in one body. So he says, firstly, we're one. Then we're one new man. Now we're one body. He's just layering reality upon reality of what God has done in Christ. To God in one body through the cross. And again, he says that thereby killing the hostility. In other words, the cross of Christ ends the hostility, the division, the alienation between Jew and Gentile. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace. Notice this. Not only to the Gentiles, but also to the Jews. Peace to you who are far off. We know it's Gentiles. And peace to those who were, what? Near. They were near because they had the covenants and they had the circumcision, but it was just in the flesh. And that's not enough. He came and preached the gospel to those who were both far and those who were near. And then he ends it with this great Trinitarian call in verse 18. Notice the Trinity here. For through him, Jesus, we both, who's that, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. In other words, in Christ, we don't have to become anymore Jewish in order to go to God, in order to be accepted by God. We don't need to become Jewish. We need to have faith in Christ. Now, the irony is that Jesus Christ was a Jew. And so in receiving Christ, we are receiving a Jewish Messiah. And as Gentiles, we become one with Christ. We become one new man. We are joined to the body of Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. And so how should we respond? Firstly, a call to remember. Secondly, a call to rejoice in what Christ has done. Lastly, a call to respond. What are we now in Christ? And he goes on and he says in verse 19, So then, here's the conclusion, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is incredible. In Christ... In verse 12, it said this, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Remember that? That was part of the problem. But now in verse 19, it says, that's been done away with. You are now fellow citizens with the saints. In other words, Jews and Gentiles are now both citizens of the same state, the same kingdom. In other words, we Gentiles have been included in Israel's story. As citizens, you have rights and privileges, don't you? 
As citizens of South Africa, you have a right to vote and you have certain privileges that we get to enjoy as being citizens that we get excluded from. Say, for example, if you go to England, for example, you can't go there and just vote unless you have a dual citizenship. Then you can do both because you have rights both here and you have rights there. And God is saying to us here through Christ, we are now citizens of the commonwealth of Israel. And the rights and privileges of a spiritual Jew are the same rights and privileges of the spiritual Gentile. That's huge. Furthermore, not only are we citizens of the same kingdom, verse 12 previously said that we were strangers to the covenants of promise, but now in verse 19 he's saying because of what Christ has done, you are fellow citizens with the saints, And, he says, and what? Members of the household of God. So not only are we citizens, but we're members. We're citizens of this kingdom, and we are members of God's house. Together with the Jews, we've been brought into the family of God. Gentiles have been brought in. We were far off. We've been included into the family of God. And then he goes on even further. Verse 12 reminded us that we had no hope. We were hopeless and homeless, weren't we? We had no hope without God. But then in verse 20 and 21, it says that being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And so we have these three images of being citizens, of being members, and of being living stones, a temple together. Guys, this is incredible. Jew and Gentile together, those who have faith in Christ, are citizens of Israel, are members of God's household, and are temple stones These were strictly Jewish blessings. Under the old covenant, these were strictly Jewish privileges. But through the death of Christ, we who were far off, the text says, have been brought near. We have been included. We get to, because of Christ, we get to share in the blessings And privileges that were exclusive to the people of God, Israel. In Galatians, Paul writes, he says in Galatians 3 verse 14, So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, here it is, might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, there have been some who've objected to this potential idea. And sometimes the objection goes like this. Am I not saying that this, am I saying this is what people call replacement theology? Am I saying that the church has replaced Israel? And the answer is no, of course not. The church has has never and will never replace Israel. And so this is not replacement theology. 
But I do want to say that this is covenant theology, and covenant theology shows us that there is no longer a distinction between Israel and the church. We are one. And so, no, we're not replacing anything. We are being included. We are being brought into the story of Israel. Believing Gentiles are being grafted into the story of Israel. And so Paul writes in Galatians 3 verses 28 to 29. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if, very important if, and if you are Christ's. So whether Jew or Greek or whether Jew or Gentile, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You need to think through that, church. The two are one in Christ. These previous covenantal promises that were exclusively made to Israel are now being shared with the church. And it moves both ways. The Jews who are in Christ become the body of Christ, the church, and the Gentiles who are in Christ become the body of Christ. And so guess what? We're both the body of Christ. We're both the church. The church is included or inherits the Old Testament promises made previously only to Israel. Again, Paul tells us, and next week we're going to touch on this in Ephesians 3 verse 6, because some of you might be going, I don't understand how this all works, and how could it really work like this? And he says this in chapter 3 verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of, of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so we have been brought into a Jewish inheritance. And all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. And so this should humble us. It should really humble us and and move us in a few directions. It should humble us that we see that in Christ there is no room for alienation. Whether black or white or white or aborigine or light green or dark green, whatever your language, whatever your tribe, whatever your nationality, in Christ we are one. If this hostility, and it was a serious hostility, can be broken and we can be included, there is no room for racism in the church. There is no room for anti-Semitism in the church. Because we've been included in a Jewish heritage. And so Paul would write to the church in Romans 11, And he would address us and warn us against arrogance and against pride 
of this now privileged position, which is what the Old Testament prophets were warning the people of Israel about too, remember? Don't be so proud of your privileged position. And now he writes to the church, which is both Jew and Gentile, and he warns them. He says this, But if some of the branches were broken off, speaking about unbelieving Jews, if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, in other words, he's speaking now to Gentiles, because you're, you're wild and you're not part of original, you were grafted in among the others and now share. You're sharing in the nourishing root of the olive tree. We're children of Abraham because we're Christ and therefore we're his offspring. Do not, he says, be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. And the reason he says that is because faith is a gift that God gives. So what are the implications? And I want to just take a few minutes just to work out some implications. I know I've taken some time to work through this passage, but I really feel it's important. And I want to come back now to Paul's final metaphor of us being living stones in the same temple. And the implication here is what I've called community, community, community. And there's two thoughts here. One is togetherness at both levels. We need each other and there should be no alienation between each other. Verse 22, he says, In him you also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now here's the implication. We may be stones in the temple, but in order to have a temple, you need more than one stone. Right? And so individually we are stones, but we need each other in order to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. At a corporate level, we need each other. Now the problem is that we are today in the West some of the most individualistic people ever. And the reason we are individualistic is because we've had inputs into our water tank of freedom, which we spoke about a few weeks ago. And the water tank of freedom in our lives is overflowing. And we've sought freedom, and we think that we get freedom through being individualist. In other words, nobody else must tell me how I should live my life. I am the final authority. And so in order to embrace what the West has sold us as true freedom, we reject outside sources of authority. And in doing so, we have to reject meaning. And so we think that if I need to be, if I want to be really free, if I want to be a true individual, be true to myself, then I need to reject other forms of meaning that come to me from the outside. And what we end up doing is we end up pulling the rug out from community. And all we're left with is ourselves. And all we're left with is our miserable selves. 
Because what happens is the secular idea of unlimited freedom produces what? Anxiety. If all I'm left with is me. I mean, the, the, the litmus test really is so simple, isn't it? We are supposedly the most busy, most lonely, most isolated, and most anxious people on earth. And yet we have unlimited freedom. It just doesn't compute, does it? We think that if we get unlimited freedom, that we will have freedom, but we actually have bondage. Because we have choice anxiety, don't we? How many of you have choice anxiety? All of you. When it comes to fashion or food or whatever it is, you have too many choices. And you live with choice anxiety. I mean, really? Come on. Uh, apparently in South Korea, they have now what they call loner restaurants. Table for one. What the heck? How sad. Something is wrong. Now the purpose of being a temple, Paul says here, is that we become a dwelling place. So first thing is we need each other. And let's resist this idea of unlimited freedom. You can be whatever you want to be. No, you can't. You need other people. You need other inputs. You need meaning. You need faith. You need tradition. You need culture. You can't determine everything for yourself because you'll be a wreck. That's the first thing. You need each other. You need other inputs. The second thing is we need to become a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. You see, what's interesting is the Old Testament... The Old Testament always was represented, the temple was always representing the presence of God, wasn't it? It was where God dwelt and God's word was there. There was the altar, there were the tablets of stone, and there were, it was the place of sacrifice. And so Paul is saying in one sense that as Christians, our identity and our Christian community is significantly shaped by, by this idea of being the temple. In other words, as Christians, a Christian identity is shaped by being a place of worship. My life is to be a place of worship. And if it's to be a place of worship, true worship happens in spirit and in truth, right? And spirit and truth are what shapes Christian identity. And what is spirit? Spirit is the presence of God. And what is truth? Truth is the word of God. And so we need the presence of God and we need the word of God in order to be a true temple. In order to be conformed to the image of God, we need word and we need presence. Now stick with me. What's the opposite of spirit and truth? The opposite of spirit presence is the absence of presence. Isolation. Individualism. The opposite of presence is just me. And the opposite of truth is lies. And so the, the enemy, hear me, the enemy is trying to create a situation where you are alone with your own ideas and your own images. 
Mark Sayers says this. He says, the enemy is creating a truth desert for you to get lost in so that he can pick you off. Because if you get isolated and you bind to world's ideas, you're in a truth desert. In other words, the opposite is don't go there. You need the presence of God and you need the presence of God's people and you need the word of God. If you're going to flourish as an individual, if you're going to be the image of God in the world, if you're going to be the true temple of God, you need to be a dwelling place of God's presence by the Spirit, God's people through the church and God's word. Amen? We, need to, we really need to take stock of this because the messages that are coming in from the world are exactly the opposite. And we need to resist. I want to say to us, we need to be careful of buying into the secular mindset of the West. God is calling us to be living stones in a temple for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the incredible reminder. You call us here to remember. You call us to rejoice. And you call us to respond. Lord, we're going to respond now by coming to the the communion table. And we're going to reflect on your body that was broken. And through your blood, you destroyed the dividing walls of hostility. And you took away the alienation and you reconciled us, both to God and to each other. Thank you that you've called us to share in a beautiful inheritance, the inheritance of the people of God. Thank you that in Christ we are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so, Father, as we consider your son Jesus, his death on the cross, we thank you for all that it means to us. Thank you that the hostility and the separation and the alienation has been removed through the blood of Jesus. We're going to hand out the elements of the cup and the bread.